is in for the touchdown. Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs and and brother. The first round of the uh, NFL draft is in the books, and that was a wild one, man. Um, uh, I got to admit, you know, there was a lot of talk that the Chiefs might go up and, and try to get Jamison Williams. Um, I did not have the lions moving up from 32 to 12 trading within the division with the Vikings, um, to go get him. Um, and honestly, when the saints went up at 11, I thought they were going up for Jamison Williams, not Chris Olave. Um, and so then when they picked Olave, and I thought, well, Oh, maybe he's still in play for the chiefs. Right. And then the lions made a stunning move, but I gotta be honest. My next thought was. Therese Paler is laughing hysterically somewhere. <laughs> the, the, the Lions come out of nowhere um, to win the Jamison Williams sweepstakes uh, in the NFL draft. So he would have felt bad for me. I just want you to know that. Like, <laughs> no. I mean, I would have had a conversation later night. He would have felt bad for me. He's like, Jacobs, I'm sorry, man, but you know what I've been through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, no, he would have. But then he, uh, you know, selfishly, he would have been thrilled to get. Jameson yeah, and I would, I would have been happy for him. So. You know, he he, he would have deserved that, man. He's been through a, he had been through a lot as a Lions fan. I always right. told him that after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they did. I'm rooting for you now. I want you to be able to have a Super Bowl that you can watch and enjoy. So, you know. Well, and then Aiden Hutchison becomes the highest ever drafted Michigan player, also to the Lions. Um, you know, it would have been an all juice kind of day. Yeah. So I mean, it was uh, it was interesting. I mean. The tackles went a little bit lower than I thought they would. The corners went a little bit higher than I thought they would at three and four. Um, Drake London, I'm not surprised the Falcons took him. I didn't know if they were going to go with speed or if they are going to go more with a possession receiver. And they ended up going with the possession receiver, the big big body possession receiver, because I think I had Garrett Wilson to them. But I mean, I, I debated with Drake London there for, or with London there for a while. I'm like, yeah, I was like, they might do it when I was putting the mock together. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, ah, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll put, I'll put him, I'll put Drake to the Jets right after because they can give him a big body physical receiver. And so, if I had originally gone with what I was thinking they were gonna do, I would have been right on those two, but didn't end up working out that way. Um, let's see, Seahawks got Charles Cross at nine. Uh, that one makes sense because I mean, like athletically, he fits their type of style. I really thought Neil was gonna end up going to the Texans just because of the way that ended up working out. And I mean, I I, had, uh, I debated about putting Icky to the Panthers, but I, I thought maybe they'd be overly aggressive. And I believe the smoke screen about the quarterback that I had been hearing and they uh, did not take Malik Willis and uh, neither did the uh, Steelers. So they both threw everybody, they both threw everybody off the scent on that one. Well, and I, for me, like I, I knew that the Texas would consider Stingley at three, but I really thought ultimately they'd go for Ekwanu just because I think he um, is a more, is a safer choice and a more foundational piece. Potentially uh, Stingley's injury history just worried me a little bit there at three. And I still thought they'd have an opportunity to, uh, cause I thought the, I thought the tackles would be off the board if they went icky and then the giants and Panthers um, pick tackles as expected. I thought the Seahawks would be in, in, in a mood to maybe trade down. They could maybe come back up at nine and get, still get Stingley, um, which is kind of what I had mocked. Um, and then, um, of course, uh, things really went off the rails at pick number 11. Um, you know, it, I mean, Brett, look, a lot of times there, you know, you mentioned smoke screens ahead of the draft. Um, 
I, I guess as a media member, I feel good that Brett Veach didn't sit in the press conference last week and lie right to our faces because he told us last week that he didn't think they'd take a big swing, that if they were going to trade up, it would be in the 19 to 21 range. Um, and, and that that's exactly how it played out. I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, whether or not they were, you know, ready to take that swing on, on Jamison Williams, um, uh, you know, I mean, he may have been, uh, may have been holding something back there, but he, he made it pretty clear. They weren't, they weren't looking to go all the way to the top 10. And ultimately at the end of the day, um, when Trent McDuffie fell, um, and I think you had him at 13, I had him at 17 in, in our mocks, uh, you know, a lot of places had him as clearly a top, uh, you know, 15 pick, um, in this draft. Um, when he slid down to, to 21, you know, the chiefs had to give up a, a third and a fourth round pick to make it happen, but they moved up. And, and I think, you know, Veach explained after the draft that they didn't think he'd be there at 29, which is why they made the move. And, and he's absolutely right. I don't, I don't think there's any chance Trent McDuffie would have fallen eight more picks. I mean, Buffalo moved up from 25 to 23 to get Kair Elam, uh, just a couple picks after the chiefs made the trade, but look, McDuffie, he's shorter and doesn't have the the arm length that that we've seen the Chiefs covet um, in their corners historically. But I got when you look at his look, he can play man, he can play zone. I think what separates him is his ability to process the game, to to process the routes, um, and athletically to um, you know feel comfortable on the field. He never seems like a guy who panics, and I think from a scheme fit, he he's ideal in some respects, aside from the, the, the size maybe for Spagnuolo system. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, the scouting report I had on him was McDuffie's a uh, very smart and savvy coverage corner. He reads the keys of a receiver really well and makes the proper adjustment based off of it. Um, he was like predictive text. So on your, you know, on your iPhone, when it starts predicting what you're going to say, he's really good at that from a route perspective and knowing what they're doing and where they're going to go just because of how much film study and tape work that he puts into it. So you can tell that he puts in that tape work and that he understands situational football. They may try these out of these formations and stuff like that. And he's very good at that. I mean, he is a physical corner, especially in run support and as a blitzer. So I knew the chiefs probably were going to like that about him. Um, and like, like, like I put in there, he doesn't panic on routes or his technique. He trusts what he's doing, what he's seeing, and he goes with it and he's not grabby. Like, uh, like, you know, Bashad Breeland would have been Orlando Scandrick. So, I mean, and, and here's the reality. Washington makes good corners. Like, they've got a good coaching yeah. staff up there, and they make really good corners, and they turn out good corners, first-round corners on a regular basis. So, to have somebody of Trent McDuffie's caliber drop to where he did and the Chiefs be aggressive to get that, I, I got a feeling Steve Spagnuolo's happy about it. I have no doubt in my mind Dave Merritt's happy about it, just simply because they have, you know, they, they have a – a premium corner that if they with Dave Merritt coaching him with Steve Spagnuolo coaching him, he may end up becoming a lockdown corner for him. So for them to be somewhat aggressive and be able to trade up and they get rid of a couple, I know it sounds bad this way, but I think they were okay parting with that third and fourth round pick. Cause I think they, they know they still have, they have the two ones, the two twos. So in that regard, I think they're like, okay, you know, with Brett saying last uh, last week that the value is from 30 to 60, they're still in that ballpark to where they get the four guys in that range that, you know, they get a guy they weren't expecting to be in that spot. Then I'm, I'm just going to, he may not come out and say it, but I'm like, 
99% sure he had a first round grade on him. So to be able to get him where he oh, did, yeah. I can tell being able to trade up, trading up the third and fourth like that, I can tell he's like, yeah, no, this is a chance. We're going to shoot our shot. But I will say this. Look, I don't think that they weren't testing the waters to see how far they could get up there and what they would have to do to get a certain receiver by right. the name of Jamison Williams. I'm just telling you, they uh, I I had heard from some people I checked with that there may have been a call double checking at the nine spot. So I'm I'm just telling you, like there there were some spots they were checking, and the cost was going to be ridiculous to move up to some of those spots and they 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 smartly took and here's what i'll say they smartly took two of the better players on the board where they were at because carl Loftus is another guy that i i had going to the bucks but i was wrestling with him potentially going to the cardinals too and so for them to be able to get those because carl Loftus is a power rusher he's a lot like what I I described Josh Pascal to be he's just a bigger physical version of it a little bit as a little bit less athletic in his hips but he's a hard worker and he's got that type of stuff and he's picked up football quickly because he only started when he was in eighth grade out there in Indiana so I mean and there's there's a lot to like there I think when you watch him come around the corner a little bit, it's going to be like a little bit wider of a turn than, you know, than some other defensive ends, but he's, he's good against the run. He's a power, you know, he's a power rusher. He's physical against the run. He can take on the block. So I I think with that, that's going to be for him. I mean, he's, he's going to be what they needed on the opposite side of Frank Clark. Now the question, you know, we'll, we'll answer that here in a little bit. I'll stop right there, but I will say with Carl Loftus, I always saw him as a left defensive end in the chief scheme. He was a power rusher that had a good size, good bull rush. He had lateral movement that he was able to utilize with uh, the twist games and stunts at Purdue. So I guarantee Spagnuolo saw that and loved that. And the Chiefs D-line coach, Joe Cullen, probably loved that too. Um, His ability to change directions is tough for his size. So, it, like I said, it's a little bit more of a wider turn. Like, think about a truck versus a Dodge Intrepid. A little bit, little bit wider turn doesn't turn as sharp. That's out of fall. It's just kind of being that size. But, he hold, like I said, he holds his own to the point of attack. And I thought when they put him in a wide nine at Purdue, he was a better rusher and able to reach the corner at times a little bit better. So, I think on some of those third and longs, you put him out there in more of a wide nine. And I think he's going to put some fear and some right tackles. So it's not, not necessarily a bad pick. It's just me. I kind of personally, and I had him on my big board. So two guys out on my big board, they got, that I both had first round grades on. So, I mean, I'm not upset about either one of them, but I'm at the point now where I'm like, all right, I want to see that receiver <laughs> coming up here. I want to see that corner. I want to see another edge rusher. Let's make it happen. Well, and finishing up on, on McDuffie real quick, you know, Veach said they didn't really go through any, trade up for Trent McDuffie scenarios because they just were not convinced he was going to be in the range they were comfortable moving up to get him at. Um, So that was encouraging. But, I mean, look, some of the things I like about George Karloftis out of Purdue, look, he's he's battle-tested against NFL-caliber tackles, right? So you don't have some of the issues you had with, say, a Colin Saunders about level of play. Like, you know that he's gone against guys who are going to be in the league. He's got a high motor. And, and I think, I, I honestly think that there's a chance like he could be flexible. I mean, you, you like, I, I think he, you're right. He, he's better as a left defensive end, but I think he could move over and replace Frank Clark at right defensive end uh, in future years. I think he's also versatile enough. You know, if you want to go with a, a cheetah package or something like that, reduce him down inside next to Chris Jones. 
on some third down stuff like that. I, I think he could do that. To me, he seems like um, you know some of the comps are to a guy like a Trey Hendrickson or something like that. But to me, he seems like a guy who he may ultimately end up be more of a pocket pusher um, and a guy who affects the quarterback, makes him move off his spot and racks up more pressures than he does. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the, the last piece for him, like you said, whether it's the bend on the edge or or whether it's just developing more counters and moves and stuff like that, the last piece is for him to finish those sacks. Like he does a good job um, getting pressure on the quarterback. I think he still has uh, to refine his game a little bit, uh, and, you know, and again, the lack of experience may play into that. I mean, you know, Joe Colon uh, is a pretty good defensive line coach. He may be able to get the best out of him and may be able to take him to that next level. And maybe he will, you know, be a, a, a 10 to, you know, 10 to 15 sack guy eventually. But look, I mean, at this point, even if he's just eight or nine sack guy, that's a vast improvement over what the chiefs have had. Uh, I think he immediately goes into the rotation as the the starter at left defensive end. If I, if I were having to guess today, um, and I think Trent McDuffie is immediately a starting boundary corner um, and allows Legereus need to play more inside where he's more comfortable and has more success. And so I think the chiefs have, have vastly improved their defense with these first two picks. And, and that, that needed to be done in this draft because that hadn't been addressed in free agency. Uh, and, and I think the chiefs succeeded to, to that end. Um, and look, you know, like you said, holding on to picks 50 and 62, where they, where they like the value in this draft um, in the trade up for McDuffie was critical. And that may have been a sticking point. Like you said, in trying to go up to nine with Seattle or something like that, they probably would have had to give up pick 50 and, you know, a third or a fourth rounder to get up into that range. And so that may have been why they balked at it, but look, the draft isn't over, you know, and Veach said that, his guys actually kind of like Friday and Saturday better because I think it's a, it's more of a test to your player personnel department. Like it's really easy to look at the top 15 guys on the board and, and almost every NFL team can say, yeah, those 15 guys project as really good NFL players. You start getting into the second, third round range and beyond, um, you know, it, it tests the ability to evaluate talent, to evaluate scheme fit and, and you know, of, of your, you know, evaluate whether it's a guy that your coaching staff can get the best out of. So um, at picks 50 and 62, you mentioned another edge, maybe another player in the secondary wide receiver. There's a lot of players still available though, in these next few rounds. So who are some of the guys you're looking at that you you're kind of hoping maybe slide into that 50, 62 range where the chiefs could maybe, uh, uh, you know, snag them. Yeah, I mean, George Pickens from Georgia is obviously a guy I'm going to be intrigued by. John Mechie from Alabama, uh, South Alabama. Or, I mean, excuse me, John Mechie from Alabama. Alabama. Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Um, I'm very curious to see what the, where those guys end up going. Obviously, Thornton from Baylor. Tyquan Thornton from Baylor is another guy. My boy, uh, 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 well, he's not my boy, but uh, Eric Azumic. Azuma as a comma. Yeah, as a comma. I'm sorry. I'm getting ready to <laughs> yawn. Um, That's Patrick Mahomes' boy because he's a Texas Tech Red Raider. Yeah, I mean that would be a day three, but I mean more so tomorrow. Like, <clears throat> I mean, I I can't remember J- Drake Jackson didn't did he get taken? I don't think he did. No, he didn't. No, okay, the USC so, edge rusher still out there. So there's there's a prom- there's promise with him because he's got good athletic ability. He's a rusher. He's not strong against the run. That's why he got dropped a little bit. Um, let's see. Ebba Katie, is he 
I don't remember. Uh, Arnold Abacadie's there. Logan Hall's there. Josh Pascal's there. Okay, so yeah, um, so I mean, yeah, with with with, with either know, Drake it, it, Jackson, Abacadie, Pascal, Mafe's Ma- still out there too. So right, Boye um, Mafe, Demarvin so yeah, Leal I mean, is still out there. This is um, honestly tomorrow. I mean, if there's if there's David a Ajabo, way, David Ajabo's out there. Nick Benito is out there as a second round guy. The thing I like about a Nick Benito is you've got a power guy. You know, I mean, Nick Benito is, he's strictly a speed guy, but if, you know, if he's, if you get some value out of him, you know, then you've added some versatility to that DN line or DN group. Yeah. And well, the problem will be with everybody overnight tonight, having time to reevaluate the board and, and look at everything and it not to be turned into the pure chaos anarchy. It did from 11 to 20 something um, to 23 with how many trades happen and star wide receivers got traded all of a sudden. And that's, that's something else I'm going to end up saying here is like part, part of it that I don't think people realize is I think a new trend started this off season. If you don't want to pay 20 to $30 million, you trade them in the final year of their contract and let somebody else hold that bag. And then you replace them with a receiver. So selfishly, I was kind of happy that the Titans took Burks. I'm like, fine. That's one thing on the board. I don't care. Wouldn't pickings. I'm good. Well, and then, I mean, they basically, I mean, I don't think it's a, a perfect comparison because Trey Burks, Traylon Burks didn't run a, uh, extensive route tree, and he played more in the slot compared to AJ Brown when he was at Mississippi. But you know, in terms of the size and some of the the measurables, um, it's easy to see why people look at him and see, um, you know, the second coming of AJ Brown. Literally, the Titans trade AJ Brown to the Eagles, who immediately sign him to a you know a massive four year, hundred million dollar deal with fifty seven million guaranteed, and then they draft Traylon Burks with that pick. I mean, but you saw it, Devontae Adams. Ty, you know, Tyree kill all the smoke, you know, I mean, Debo Samuel hasn't been traded, but I mean, that's there. I don't think the Marquise Brown one falls into that category. Um, I think that was more uh, the Cardinals effort to get Kyler Murray to add um, them back onto his social media profiles because, you know, they, it was a, a bit of an odd uh, odd thing. Um, yeah. Well, the, either way, the Ravens didn't want to hold the bag anymore on that potential contract. So right, and they were you know, the, Kyler they were and out. Marquise Brown played together at Oklahoma. So I'm just I'm just saying they were the Ravens were out on that one. They're like, you can pay the freight on that one. We'll trade right. them to you. That's fine. So, but what what is funny about it? I think I've said in the podcast before. So <laughs> of the of the players who got traded tonight, Marquise Brown and AJ Marquise Brown AJ Brown both share the same agent. Debo Samuel also has the same agent. So he almost had three clients that he was able to get to new homes to potentially get more money for. And then he's got another client. I can't remember, but they're on the, they were, Oh, Metcalf. He's got DK Metcalf. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you know, like he's, he's out there doing some work, man. Uh, one other guy I wanted to mention is uh, if you're looking at defensive line, I know he's not an end, but Travis Jones, I think could bring uh, some pass rush ability from the one tech, which is hard to find. It's unusual. Uh, I don't think he lasts a 50, but if he did, um, I would celebrate like I did the Colin Saunders pick a couple of years ago. And you remember how excited I was for that. I've, uh, I've erased that from my memory. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, look, I mean, if the chiefs can get another edge rusher and they can go get a receiver in the second round, I'm going to be really thrilled with where they're at. And then you go get one of the defensive tackles or corners there. Potentially, you may have to reach a little bit there in the in the third for one of the tackles. But if you get 
you get another corner on top of that, or maybe even a safety. I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of opportunity there to be able to get some get some quality players and really kind of. I'm just. I'm really hoping selfishly to get another edge rusher, another edge rusher receiver and corner tomorrow. Just go, go do that with the three picks, and I will. I will be a very happy individual. I was gonna say. So let just just let's say they get Jalen Petrie, Kirby Joseph, or Nick Cross um, at fifty. All right. No, let's say I'm, they add Demarvin Leal or Cameron Thomas at sixty-two. And then, um, oh, now you're no, you're not going to be happy because there's still not a wide receiver off the board. Um, but maybe you know Jalen, maybe Jalen Tolbert or one one Dale Robinson fall, and they, you know, they're probably not going to fall the way to one hundred three. But um, so you might have to go up a little bit earlier to get that wide receiver, I think. Um, but um, there's going to be options. I mean, I think that's the bottom line. There's going to be options. I mean, eventually somebody's going to, have to take David Ajabo too, right? Um, I think that's going to be more of like a third, early, third round, early fourth, you know, unless somebody's got excessive picks. Because, like I was talking about when I was on eight ten uh, on the Border Patrol this morning, uh, yesterday, now at this point um, when we're taping this. Um, <laughs> so, Todd, I've been up since eight a.m. It's almost one a.m. in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but anyways. Um, I, I, you're, you don't, he's going to need a full red shirt year this year. So like you, you can't, you're not going to be able to utilize him immediately. So like if the chiefs had that extra third or extra fourth, like I say, take that, utilize that on him and you're good to go at that point. Um, you know, because it's going to be a red shirt and like, you need two edge rushers right now that can come in and help play right now. You got one in Carl Loftus, go get another one that can give you some speed behind Frank Clark. And then, you know, the, you know, go from there. And then if you get Melvin Ingram back after OTAs and mini camp magically end, <laughs> you know, then there's a, there's an opportunity there too. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I look, Todd, I'm going to be greedy right here. I'm just, you know, if, if there's a way, if there's, if there's a way to get a couple more picks there in the second, like if there's somebody that they could maybe move for some second round picks, I would do that because that board right there is ridiculous what they could potentially get at receiver and end and even a corner. I'm sorry. I'm just over here just dreaming, dreaming away, Todd. There, there's a lot. Like Veach said, there's a there's a lot of quality right there in that second round and third round where the Chiefs could clean up and really be in a great position. And selfishly, I'd love to see the Chiefs get a fifth round pack, a fifth round uh, pick back too in some weird way. I don't know how, but Look, well, look, the, the way the Chiefs may, I mean, if they can convince a team to take a 2023 pick, because they've got some extras there, too. Whoa, Todd. Trade, Whoa. Whoa. The 2023 a- draft is in Kansas City. So that's why whenever I heard it was uh, whenever I heard and saw uh, also also saw on Twitter that it was getting too rich. I'm like, first round I was like, when I saw I was getting too rich and Jay Glazer put out there about that first rounder. And then I checked with somebody and I'm like, so I'm like, yeah, you can't do that when the draft's coming to Kansas no. City, man. Can you imagine? Maybe, maybe another year when it's not coming to town, but not not this year. But I mean, here's the thing: it may end up working out for the best because 
say that Jamison Williams isn't the same guy after the ACL thing, that's kind of the risk you were still running. Like, I mean, but that's something like a player like that. You kind of hope you would, you would have done it late first. Like you've been in 29 and 30. I think she's would have done that in a heartbeat, but yeah, like trading away the first round pick that you <laughs> would be using in your hometown the next year. Not, not, not an idea, not an idea to go with. But, hey, they got two people off my big board, Todd. I'm happy right now. means all that work I put in wasn't for nothing. <laughs> so, Yeah. No, I mean, look, they, they – yeah. I mean, it was a – it was a, I think it was a good day all the way around. I know that, like, you know, the McDuffie pick, you know, there may not have been a lot of fans who were as familiar with his name as they were with some of the wide receivers and the defensive ends. There had been a lot of talk about safeties, whether it was Lewis Seen or – um, who was Mr. Irrelevant for this year's first round, or, uh, you know, or Daxton Hill, who was uh, penultimate Mr. Irrelevant. Those two guys went 31 and 32. Um, you know, there wasn't as much focus on McDuffie. I think a lot of the cornerback focus for analysts, too, you know, kind of like Veach Hinnadad had centered on, you know, Booth or, you know, although I don't think he was a great fit, but Kair Elam, guys like that who were projected to be a little bit later first round picks. Um, but I think they got a really good player in McDuffie. And I think Karloff, this was great value at 30 where they got him. And I think there's more moves to come. Um, you know, the chargers were the only other AFC West team that with a draft pick, they went interior offensive line with uh, Zion Johnson out of Boston college who um, I think helps, um, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll partner well with, uh, you know, Corey Lindsley on the inside at, at center. And I think, um, it helps. I mean, I think it's a, not a bad idea to protect the franchise similar to what the chiefs did last off season. Uh, but certainly not a pick that you, you think is going to turn the tide in the AFC West in the chargers favor. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm zapped at this point. <laughs> to be honest, I still get some stuff I gonna get done. So, so well, uh, I mean, on balance, I mean, I think the Chiefs are in a good position. I think Brett Veach uses draft capital um, patiently um, and intelligently to go get a player that they didn't dream they'd be able to get in that range. And uh, we'll see what they do tomorrow. But as we've said all along, the the worries about the defense, I think, were always a little bit overblown because. With the draft capital they had, I think that they were smart enough they were always going to address some of those needs and fix some things. And I think they're well on their way. And guess what? If everything works out, they got a really strong edge rusher that you hope can kind of replace the Melvin Ingram Emmanuel Ogba role um, at a cost control price with a five year option. And then you get a hopefully, hopefully, you get a very quality shutdown corner with that fifth year option. So that's not a bad thing either. Well, uh, and I mean, last time the Chiefs had a first round corner to Washington, uh, worked out like rookie of the year well. So, yeah, um, I'm just hoping McDuffie doesn't punt footballs in the stands. <laughs> I suspect that Trent McDuffie um, is going to be less dramatic uh, on and off the field than Marcus Peters was. So, well, Todd, that's all I got for tonight. Um, just so everybody knows, we're going to try to be back here tomorrow. Do another recap and then do a do another recap at some point this weekend. I think. Yeah, on Saturday. Um, so, uh, <laughs> is that what day that is? I have no idea anymore. I, I, I today think today feels like you know, today feels like a sad sun. 
Well, the, the people need our analysis of the one fourth round pick and the four seventh round picks that they're projected to have. Um, I don't know, man. They might they might trade, you know, might trade two of the seventh to the six. You never know. Uh, I mean, who's who's making that trade? <laughs> Somebody will, and his name is Bill Belichick. <laughs> probably, probably, by the way, that was like they took like a third round guard out of Chattanooga at, with the Chiefs pick at 29. Like, I, I was so worried sitting there because I had actually projected Karloftis to fall to 21 to the Patriots. And I was like, well, there you go. They're going to get Karloftis at 21. That's like Bill Belichick always finds like some, you know, hidden gem or gets lucky in the draft. They're going to get this guy that was probably top 15, top 20 talent. He's going to be there right in the fringe. They're going to add him, you know? And then, so at 29, I'm like, oh man, like what if my worst nightmare comes true and they do go, you know, <laughs> go take the, you know, probably the best edge that was remaining there off the board. Um, and then, you know, uh, they stunned everyone by going Cole Strange at a Chattanooga who Sean McVay hilariously said in his press conference tonight that, um, they wasted time evaluating or watching tape on him, thinking he might be there at 104 as an option for him. No. <laughs> Belichick snags him at 27. So uh, I was. I, I know the Saints are happy with what they did by getting Trevor Penning and getting Chris Olave. I mean, don't get me wrong; they both they needed both those guys in their offense. So, like, they have their left tackle and, and their speed receiver now. Um, but man, they give up a lot. Gave up a lot of their draft for those, for two of the for two of those guys. Like you know, you give up multiple picks. You know, you give up a first next year. Like, uh, maybe I'm insane. I I, I had a lave fallen to him at 16 anyway. Like I, I, they were. Here's what I think happened, and this is where I think Brett Veach and the Chiefs came into play. As soon as Garrett Wilson got taken at 10, I think everybody panicked. And they're like, okay, the Chiefs are coming up to 11 or 12. We got to get ahead there real quick. Chiefs are coming up there. We got to get ahead of them. Chiefs are coming up here. We got to get ahead of them. So then I think the Saints panicked. And then Detroit just swings out of nowhere from 32, yeah, gets yeah. all the way up there to 12, and, and is able to take Jameson Williams. And, I mean, look, he'll be – I, I wish him the best. I don't think it's a great situation for him to go to, um, but you know he'll he'll be there. So it'll. Uh, and then I'm not surprised to see the Eagles take a Georgia defensive tackle. They love SEC defensive tackles that are there. I, I thought Davis was going to go to the Vikings, but the Vikings obviously with their GM, he he showed himself tonight in a good way. That dude's going to take value, and he doesn't even care if you're in his own division. You want to give him value? That's fine. <laughs> so yeah. that was uh, that was intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I had I had Seattle and Houston swapping nine and thirteen, and I had Seattle with no tackles on the board, um, taking Jordan Davis at thirteen. Um, you know, because just the athletic upside he presented there. But I mean, Philadelphia, look, they got AJ Brown. They're going to get some cap flexibility to to move off Fletcher Cox after this year, um, assuming Jordan Davis uh, develops. Um, the Eagles had a good night. Who had a better night though? The Eagles or the Jets? The Jets got Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and then came back into the first round at 26 and got Jermaine Johnson, yeah. who a lot of people thought they'd have to, they might pick in the top 10. So that, that that's one of the best drafts the Jets have honestly ever had. Like I, just I, looking I was, at it from beforehand, after they get there and depending on their locker room culture and their quarterback right. and everything, whole different ball game. But before they were tainted by the <laughs> losing in New York, um, they, 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 I mean, they got, they got some quality dudes. 
Well, and I, the funny thing, so I got some cousins who live up in the Northeast in the Connecticut area. They're big Jets fans. So I was texting them after Jermaine Johnson slid to him. I was like, oh man, you guys got to be thrilled. And he was talking about it. I, I said, I said, are you going to be mad when they package Sauce Gardner and Jermaine Johnson for Baker Mayfield now? Because they've already given up on Zach Wilson. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that would be so Jets of us to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. They'll probably find a way to screw this up. But Give them time, they, man. They won day one of the draft, I think. They, uh... Yeah, no, they uh, they they had an impressive day. Like, I mean, when I looked at it after the fact, right now, when I'm not busy trying to put a show together um, and doing that live and having, because for example, for people that don't know, um, so we did an OTT show tonight, so you can watch it on Roku wherever you're at. OTT on, stands for over the top. Yeah, it's streaming only. So we did a streaming show tonight, so people could watch it anywhere they wanted to. Find um, on the KSHB app on, uh, you know, on Roku or Amazon Fire Stick or wherever, Fire TV, whatever it's called. Crushed it, Todd. Good job. Very proud of you. <laughs> it's like you work Welcome in that. De- it's like it's like it's like you work in that department. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. um, so but I mean, so like I, I I had the show planned out to buy time until the pressers happen and everything. We get up there at ten thirty five. Um, and I mean, I'm doing our, you know, I've got Aaron and Mick from Las Vegas going live, giving their reaction to it. And then Andy Reid just walks up there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, man. So, uh, you know, we got, we got a little piece of Andy Reid. not as much as I would have preferred. He, uh, he came out quicker than he normally does in terms of that. So um, he was ready to go get his cheeseburger. He was a happy man. It should have been <laughs> got, a, got a little less worry now there on that. Get the ball back a couple more times is what they're able to get. Um but yeah, I mean, like, so that's happening. And then, you know, Mick was getting George Karloftis there because he's actually at the draft and yeah, everything. Las Vegas, yeah. So, I mean, Mick was chatting, chatting with him and uh, got him at the presser. And then they got a one-on-one that'll air tomorrow with him. Um, so I'm monitoring all these things at the same time that I'm having to move a whole bunch of things around the show. So you don't, you don't know that it's, you know, the roadmaps changing on a regular basis. And <laughs> right. I'm having, I'm the Siri that's like, no, turn right now, turn left, now turn right again, just because of how many things we're adjusting. But, you know, we got Brett Veach in full on the OTT. So I'm happy about that. Uh, I feel like I'm doing a post game press conference of the show right now, but yeah. you know, I mean, and uh, I look how, forward. How do you feel like it went? Were, were you happy with the value you got out of the? Yeah, OTT? I mean, we, we're not gave one hundred ten percent, but I mean, you know, <laughs> just gotta take it one day at a time. Friday we'll do, we'll try to do a better show, and then you know, Saturday we'll try to crush it, knock it out of the park, and uh, try to try to give people a good flex this time of year. There you go. Always love a good flex this time of year. I love a good flex this time. Of year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave you with that. So uh, take care, kids.